Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio, episode 199. Today we are joined for the whole hour by Rob Paulson, voice actor extraordinaire. We'll talk about his new memoirs as well as the new Animaniacs reboot on Hulu. All that and more, stand by. For those of you who are brand new to the show, welcome. I'm your host, James Enstall. This is geek to me Radio. For those who are longtime listeners, I greatly appreciate your support. Uh, make sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram at geek to me Radio, Facebook.com slash geek to me Radio. This is a full show, so let's dive in. Right now, joining us, a legendary voice. I would put him up on the Mount Rushmore of voice actors if there was oh, such dear. a thing. Uh, we've got Rob Paulson on the show again. Rob, how are you? Well. I am ready to end the interview right now because it can't get any better than being on the Mount Rushmore of voice talent. James, thank you. I am. Um, I'm well. I'm breathing. I'm not in jail, but the day's not over yet. So far, so good. A lot could happen. We didn't. We never know. A lot could happen, buddy. <laughs> so obviously, people are very, very, very excited about uh, Animaniacs coming back to Hulu on November 20th, and I seriously yeah. don't think people would be as excited if it was not bringing back the original voice cast, you and Jess and Tress McNeil and Maurice, it's, it's got to be very exciting for you. Boy, I, I, that, with all due respect, is about the most profound understatement I think I could come up with. Um, it, it, it really is, James, and it's difficult to even quantify what, uh, how exciting it is. It's very unique, as one can imagine, in the life of a non-celebrity talent. And and I don't, uh, I'm not prone to false modesty. I'm an actor. I'm, I, I, I'm always flattered and enjoy the attention that you and others pay to me. That's what we do. However, I don't draw them. I don't write them. I am just the <laughs> actor. And I'm speaking on behalf of the other fine, incredibly gifted folks you cited. We know that this is a deeply collaborative effort. And we also know that while we're successful, by most measure, um, we make our living doing something for which we would essentially do for free. Um, we love working. We love each other. We're all older and we're working every day. If we were in corporate America, we would have all been downsized by now. <laughs> we get how incredibly fortunate we are. However, in this realm, this type of experience is usually limited to movie stars, celebrities, when you have an opportunity 25 years after the fact in which the king of Hollywood says, hey, kids, you want to get the band back together? And I'll put my juice behind it. We'll get another 35, 40 piece orchestra with Steve and Julie Bernstein, who were there with Richard Stone to do the original music mm. with Randy Rogel, who wrote United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru. And and we're doing it again. Are you in? And it does not, uh, th there is no thought of hiring movie stars or celebrity talent to voice the characters, which is not unusual these days. Yeah. Then, then we're really living a dream. We're really living, um, an incredible opportunity that is provided to very few journeyman actors. So when you look at it in that light, you see what I mean when it's difficult to quantify how exciting this is. Uh, anytime you get a phone call from Steven Spielberg 
to say, hey, you want to do this again? Oh, when you're in, you don't have to. You know, all you got to do is say yes. You don't have to audition. Mm. We know what you can do. Are you kidding me, James? <laughs> My God, it's unbelievable. And we had you on the show. Last time we had you on was right before uh, Planet Comic Con. I want to say 2018. Yeah. And you would, uh, your, your book had not come out yet. And reading the book, it, you, know, you, you opened with the dinner at Morton Steakhouse. It sounds like yeah. you, at that time, because I'd asked you about, hey, the reunion is, is there talk, people are rumbling talks about it, anything? And you were like, well, we don't know. So I'm, I'm assuming you had to be, obvious reasons, very cagey about it at that time, because if I'm getting the timeline in the book right, you probably knew yes. that it was on the table, but you obviously couldn't say anything. That's exactly right. And journalist, because you see and read between the lines on an old man's face. Um, yeah, that's true. And, and, as you as you can imagine, it was only to uh, give ourselves a little bit of room in case something fell through. Sure. This is Hollywood. Deals are made. Deals are backed out of. Money falls apart. Somebody's nose get out, gets out of joint. You know, an eye, an eye doesn't get dotted, whatever. All the time. Not often with a guy like Mr. Spielberg, because when he says we're going to do this, we're going to do this. But we were also on Mr. Spielberg's timeline. And he, Steven, he's got 18 different projects going at the same time. And while he is really hands on with Animaniacs, both in the first iteration and now, uh, it, we had to wait till he could give it his. By his full attention, folks need to know this. Uh, it would be absolutely understandable for people to say in the context of a guy like Steven Spielberg, well, that's kind of sweet that he he's doing that. Well, it's just a cartoon and he's involved. Let me tell you how involved Steven is. Mr. Spielberg, when he decided to do this with Sam Register, the head of Warner Brothers Animation, went to there were four pitches to the usual suspects, Apple, Hulu. Amazon and Netflix. Mr. Spielberg went to every pitch with the crew. Moreover, he went into every pitch with it very clear that Tress, Maurice, Jess, and I be in. Hmm. He included a, a three foot by four foot blow up of our respective headshots to say, just so you know, the characters are authentic. We know that the show is successful. In many, for many reasons, not the least of which are the authenticity of the characters. So before you ask, no stunt casting. These guys are in. So he is, let's wait till I have time to do this the right way. And um, I think if one looks at a couple of clips or trailers that have been dropped by Hulu in the last couple of weeks, I don't think that it would be uh, uh, out of line to suggest that that they're getting it right. Definitely. And obviously, uh, we, I kind of mentioned in the last question too, the book, um, I, I read the book. It's a quick read. I mean, you sit down and you just hear your voice speaking as though oh, it were on thank tape. Thank you, James. And I thank was you. alternating between, you know, parts I'm, I'm laughing. Other times you've got me nearly in tears. You're talking about the, uh, the, the treatment you endured. And I'm like, I'm, I'm puckering up at both ends, just thinking about it. Um, <laughs> But it, it's such a visceral book. Uh, where, when did you, obviously, uh, post-treatment uh, and everything, you decided to write it, but it, did it come together quickly? Were your thoughts uh, just pouring out? It can, I, I kind of get the idea that you already knew what you wanted to say. Let's get the book out and, and let people know all this is going on. We'll pause right there, come back, continue our conversation with voice actor Rob Paulson. Stand by. This is Andrea Romano. I happen to be the voice director for many animated series, including the Justice League. You are listening on geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. Before we took that first break, we were chatting with Rob Pauls and asked him to discuss the process of writing the book. I have to say, uh, firstly, thank you very much. That's um, my co-writer, Mike Fleeman, who really did all the heavy lifting 
uh, and I could not have asked for a better, more concise review. That's exactly what we wanted to happen. I think, um, especially if you're talking about a a, a memoir, look, I I had been asked by well-meaning fans for years, God, you know, Mr. Paulson, you should write a memoir. Look at this wonderful career. And, And I appreciated that really nice compliment in the spirit in which it was given. But um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a celebrity. And while I I have arguably iconic characters in which I've had a part in creating, uh, I thought the last thing the world needs is another rambling celebrity bio <laughs> by another celebrity who really had a relatively unremarkable life. And I mean that in a positive way. I, I'm I had two parents who loved each other, who loved me and my siblings. I grew up in a lovely home in, in Michigan. I made my way to L.A. like a lot of hope, other hopefuls. It worked out for me. I didn't go to rehab. Well, day's not over again. <laughs> have, you know, but um, uh, but it, I didn't need to write a book about. And then I won an Emmy. And then I did this. And perhaps you know me from. And I know all the countries of the world. So what? It's Hollywood. There are a lot of talented people. I'm good at my job. You're good at your job. It's not that big a deal. But once I had cancer and specifically throat cancer, I had a story because and it's not that I had cancer. Sadly, we all know someone who has. And even more sadly, we know many people who have not made it. But because of the type of cancer I had and what I do for a living, and I was able not only to survive the treatment, but get back on my feet and do it again with, as I mentioned earlier, the king of Hollywood. And the glorious upshot is that nobody, not Mr. Spielberg, not my co-actors, the, the new writing staff, production staff who had grown up listening to me and my friends were any the wiser when I got back to work after my cancer. Hmm. That's the story. And it is um, precisely uh, because of nice people like you to give me a platform from which to tell my story that the cartoons are a reason to, to suck people in um, and, and a conduit to sort of say, let me tell you about my story and about the power of joy and about the power of perseverance um, and about the power of of those over fright, terror, sadness, cancer, all of that. Because there was a period of time, as you read in the book, in which I wasn't sure that I could do it. Yeah. And this was after I'd already been told that Mr. Spielberg wants to do it. But I'm not going to call him up and say, hey, Stephen, I've got cancer. That's not his business. And he doesn't need to know it. And, you know, and and he would say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I have no doubt that had I had I called him or not, I call, I'm not going to call him up. I don't have a cell phone. But <laughs> had he known, he would have said, well, you know what? Let's see how things shake out because we had time. But I didn't know that. Right. So all I was looking at was, pardon me, are you effing kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm waiting for this reboot. The word comes around and I just start my cancer treatment. Now, I got nothing to be sorry about. But talk about we make plans and God laughs, right? Exactly. Um, so, but that's not what happened. What happened was I got the living daylights kicked out of me, just like everybody else who goes through a difficult cancer treatment. But it worked. And I'm back to being Yakko and Pinky and broke the scratch and sniff and a bunch of other characters. And no one will know the difference. So when my book gets read or you help me talk about it, and somebody comes up to you someday and says, James, I heard your interview with that guy, Ron Pullman. I forgot the actor that does Yakko or whatever. I got to tell you, that was interesting because my my best friend was just diagnosed with the same type of HPV related throat cancer that killed Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and from which Rob Paulson or Ron Pullman or whatever the hell his name was, was cured. And I got to tell you, I'm going to send that interview to my buddy, because that information is going to be integral to getting him through, because it so happens that this guy really digs Animaniacs, and he's watching the new episodes, and for him to hear that Yakko, 
had months of chemo and radiation on his throat. And he's back to singing these songs at a high level. Oh, my God. I, that might really help him. And you know what, James? It will. Yeah. And, and that is the story. That is why the book is important. And I'm so glad it affected you in the way in which Mike and I intended uh, it to do that. Um, and a long, circuitous route to your very simple question. No, they didn't pour out of me. They sort of dripped out of me over the course of about six months because we're talking about, uh, gratefully, a 35-year well, 40-year career from the time I got my SAG card to today, a 40-year career laced with phenomenally interesting, uh, I think, to the average civilian, um, and even to me, because it was there was a separation, obviously, of four decades. And when Mike, uh, as an expert writer, and boy, did I learn the difference between just writing my own stuff down and constructing a story. Hmm. When you have a professional writer taking what sounds like a fairly innocuous story and writing it in a compelling fashion and jumping back and forth and making it readable, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. Mike is a total pro and does it for a living. And that's where the book comes into play. Um, I, I, I'm the one who lived it, but Mike told it in a way that is eminently readable. I think um, you would suggest Absolutely. and um, a quick, quick read is a compliment. Um, and often what we hear is, you know, it's only a couple hundred pages, but dude, I couldn't put it down. Exactly. And, right. um, and that is a testament to Mike. I lived it. Mike told it. And together we made a very readable book, but the, the, the glory of it for me was that Mike knew how to ask the right questions. And I'd be literally, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh my God, I just remembered I did a session. I spent four hours with little Richard. I got to write this down. I forgot <laughs> about that. That was in 1980, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, I remember when I met Warren Beatty. I, I got to write that down. You know, There are stuff that may or may not have ended up in the book. But because Mike prodded me in the correct way that a professional writer does, I learned while I earned, as it were, and and I, I thought, holy shit, I've had a really interesting life, and I have. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, and I, and it's not over, and and moreover, I'm not even a movie star, and it's a really interesting story, also for young actors, because there are a lot of us between Brad Pitt and living on the street because our dreams have been shattered. There are people like me and Tress and Maurice and Jess and Frank Welker and Billy West and John DiMaggio and Tara Strong and, uh, um, you know, on and on and on uh, who have been really successful in any way you want to measure it um, and are working. We still have to audition because we're not quite at that level, you know, of a Brad Pitt. Or a, um, a name it, a Kate Blanchett, but it doesn't matter. We buy homes, we buy cars, we buy braces for our kids' teeth, we buy dog food, toilet paper, buy houses, just like normal people. And we are actors and singers, but you don't recognize us walking down the street. But let me tell you something: when people find out who we are, mm-hmm. and I and I rip and say, "Hello, James." <laughs> or, Hey, God, James, Narf. look what happened to you almost um, spontaneously. And I guarantee that there are listeners who hear this, and I will almost guarantee that there are some listening to it who begin to get tearful. That is what the work is about. It's not about being recognized at a Starbucks. It happens more and more because of social media and people see me on, on interviews. but. The glorious upshot is that when I'm recognized, all all that recognition does is uh, inspire people to laugh and sometimes to cry tears of joy because they know what Ninja Turtles, Pinky the Brain, Jimmy Neutron, The Tick, 
The Mask, Mighty Max, Fairly Odd Parents, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Gummy Bears, Goof Troop, you know, Spider-Man Tiny the Animated Toons, Series, Spider-Man the Animated Transformers, series. G.I. Joe. There you if, go. If we list All your of, entire credits, this will this will eat up the entire forty five minutes. There's too much to go through. <laughs> thank you, but but you see my you see my point. Yes. Any one of those characters, and and I may not even be aware of the one that makes that person tear up. Yeah. And then makes them take the extra five minutes to tell me in the line at Starbucks, Mr. Paulson, you will never know what Ninja Turtles meant to me and my brother during our parents' acrimonious divorce 30 years ago, 25 years ago. That's what my fame, quote unquote, is about, James. And I don't even know how to tell you how profoundly grateful I am that you and others take the time to to uh, highlight it. Um, I owe you all an, a huge debt of gratitude. So thank you. Oh, it's entirely my pleasure. And again, for those listening, the book is Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky, and the Animaniacs Saved My Life. Uh, we'll put the link to that in the show notes when this goes Thank up you. online. But uh, you mentioned, you know, not being a celebrity. I think that's obviously changed, I'd say, in the past decade with the uh, social yes. media and the conventions. Obviously, you're probably getting recognized more. And if anybody deserves the celebrity treatment, buddy, it's you, because you've done so much, uh, so much not only work but you're such a uh, a charitable person you're doing these events and things like that um i've i've seen you a couple times live once at dragon con in 2016 and obviously we mentioned planet comic con 2018 and just the the time you take with people in your line uh you come out from behind the table you you know you hug them you're such a gracious individual and we talked about last time on twitter you're one of the positive people you're not on their oh this is horrible doomsday doomsday you're always a force for good be it in person or online so uh you deserve every bit of celebrity treatment you get my friend we'll take our next break come back and talk more with rob paulson so please stand by This is Tress McNeil, and you're listening to Geek to Me, and James is the cute one. <laughs> and we've returned for segment three of Geek to Me Radio. Before we took that last break, we were talking with Rob about his outlook on life and about one of his favorite convention moments. Well, thank you. And again, coming from a professional, it's always uh, it's always nice to hear. But coming from one who makes their living doing what you do, um, it, it it carries a little extra juice. That's very, very kind of you. But honestly, James, and I may have said this before, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But honest to God, what on earth would I have not to be happy about? I, I'm paid to do what used to get me in trouble in seventh grade. <laughs> and I say, you know, trouble with a small T. You see my point. My job is inspired by utter joy. The characters for which I'm known are primarily those about joy. I, I have a couple of dramatic characters, and like every actor, I'd like to think that my talent uh, is not limited by to be just in, in one particular segment of the uh, 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 of the acting realm. But it doesn't matter. I am a happy individual. I, as my second grade teacher used to say, you know, and she'd send home my little report guard, your boy Rob has a sunny disposition. And I do. Uh, I, I am this way. My mother was this way. Uh, uh, you know, my dad, um, they're both gone now. And my mom and dad would both get this. I miss my dad about once every three, four weeks. I miss my mother every day mm. because my dad was a man whom I love deeply. But, you know. He instilled a certain amount of maybe in this day and age, I wouldn't call it healthy fear because it's parenting is different now. But he was a disciplinarian, not a hitter, not a lock you in the basement guy. But, you know, he wore the pants. My mom was the nurturer. It worked for me. I'm not the same kind of father to my son. Sure. But I have a sunny disposition. <laughs> 
I live my life in gratitude. I have nothing and no reason for me not to live that way. Moreover, what my work does is do what we just discussed. When I, uh, I'll share a very quick story that I have not had, I don't think, when I spoke to you before. This really exemplifies what it is that I and my friends do. And sometimes it's a little less profound, sometimes it's more profound. But this really tells us what this work does to people. And I'm not the only one. Tom Kenny, who's SpongeBob, you know, we're all dear, dear friends. And that's not hyperbole. We really are. We all go to each other's kids' birthday parties and weddings. And, you know, we call each other when our pets die. I mean, we're just like regular friends. Okay. So years ago, Mo and I, Maurice, Moth and the Bang, and I were at a big Sam uh, Stanley, one of his last events in Dallas. I was there for that. Ago. I was there for that. Yes. Oh, great. Okay. And Mo and I, as you recall, were among another group of lovely people who got to roast Stan on his birthday. Talk about an honor. It was great. And he said, oh, God, I just love Pinky and the Brain. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're you're killing me. I mean, it was the greatest thing mm. at that event. James, Maurice and I were sitting next to each other and, um, you know, we have a nice long line and we do like to take the time with everybody because it's not lost on us. In a normal convention circumstance, of course, we know. Yeah, okay, we flew from L.A., but we, we flew first class and we have people picking us up and we have people taking us to our hotel and then we have people taking us to the event, getting us in the back door, taking us to our table after making sure we have exactly what we want to be comfortable and sitting us down. And then all these lovely people who often have waited an hour or longer for us to show up spend their time talking to us. So my God, and, and by the way, the people who stood in line waiting for an hour had to pay to get in. They often have driven hours and hours to get there. They have to choose which line to stand in because often there are people much more famous than Mo and I, and they have to decide, well, can you stand in this line while I stand in the line for Mark Hamill or, or you know, whomever? And it's, and, oh my God, I got to go to the bathroom. Could you hold my place? Or, <laughs> oh my gosh, I brought my, brought my autistic daughter and my uh, autistic nephew who has a problem with crowds. He's going to wait outside. I'm, I got to go hand, get him his medication. Can you please... You see my point. Sure. It's, yeah, yeah. It's it's inconvenient anyway. So we know all of that from the get-go. So at this point, shame on us, shame on any of us, if we don't take that into consideration, if we don't then make that part of the calculus as to why we spend at least two or three minutes per person. And if it takes four or five minutes, great. Because then the people behind them see this just like you did, and they know that when they make it to Mo and me or any of the other people I mentioned, they will get that same deference. And they should. They deserve nothing less. So we're doing our thing, and uh, uh, we're into it an hour, and I see this big, tatted-out, badass Texan, 6'2", 6'3", probably two and a quarter, Cool. I can't wait to hear his story. He's willing to wait in line with everybody else. He's having a blast. He's got his pinky in the brain t-shirt on. This is going to be fascinating. So he comes up and I said, hey, God, you're a big one, aren't you? Nerf. And he started to smile. Then he started to cry, not uncontrollably, but he couldn't stop himself from getting tearful. Hmm. And it was, oh, Mr. Paulson, man, I'm so sorry. You don't know what that, uh, uh, boy, I, I did not expect this. Miss LaMarche, I, I'm such a fan, Mr. Paulson. I can't turn to the people behind him. I'm sorry, folks. I didn't know. I, it's all right, buddy. It's all right. Turns out that this young man explained to Maurice and me that he'd, had, he'd done two tour tours of duty in the Middle East as a Marine. And he only wanted not only an autograph, but he wanted to take five minutes to let Mo and me know what Pinky and the Brain meant to him in, in their videos. Because when he'd go on patrol in which his job was to kill bad people, 
and to not be killed himself. Because to the bad people, he was the bad people. And then he'd get back to camp so he could take a break for a couple of days after being on patrol for a couple of days, being shot at. And he would have a couple of beers and a cigarette and watch Pinky and the Brain. And he had to, he was compelled to drive a couple of hours and do all the things we just discussed to get to Mo and me just to say thank you for that. Now, I take a pause because every time I tell that story, I really, truly, honestly don't know how it gets any better. This is not about money. This is not about an action figure. This is not about a rating point. This is about yet another example of joy, profound joy, um, uh, um, a, a, a remembrance of home, a memory of what it is about my life in America that makes me want to be here. That This is very existential, but it, it bears repeating. I'm a young man who chose to join the Marines. I end up here. I signed up for whatever my country asked me to do. I don't question it. I'm here. To keep me sane, one of the things, in addition to the love of my family and friends from home, is pinky in the brain, James. Man. Right. Man is, is right. And that is not unusual. Sometimes it's not, it's not always about war. It's about a, a nonverbal, a neurotypical daughter who's 31 years old and for whatever reason finds a way to be verbal via Yakko's world. And the mom and dad will bring their sweet daughter who has a very difficult time with loud noises and being at a convention. But once they find out that Yakko is going to be at, at, you know, goofball con in, in Concord, New Hampshire, in the guise of a 63-year-old guy from Michigan, they don't care. And they don't maybe even know it's me. But I'll tell you what, once I say, hello, nurse, to that sweet little girl who only 30 seconds before was perspiring and shaking because mom and dad were trying to keep her together enough to meet Yakko or the Joker or Batman or Timmy Turner. You see my point. Yeah, yeah. It just, all of a sudden, all that stuff goes away because Yakko is talking to Catherine. And for 10 minutes, Catherine is neurotypical in the sense that she's laughing at the same things that you and I and our loved ones laugh at with respect to Yakko. But when she goes home, she will still have difficulty relating to people on a, on a level in which you and I take for granted so that going to the grocery store and buying groceries will always be a challenge for Catherine. Yeah. But for whatever reason, finding a way to hook into Yakko will give her the same joy at that part in her brain and in her soul that it does to James or my wife or all of us who take the normal things in life for granted. It's not about anything else but pure, unadulterated joy from wherever it comes from. That is the magic of what this work does, James. It's, it's, it's really that simple. It hits us where we live, whether we're a Marine who's wanted to come and explain that story of life and death, or a family who's brought their 31-year-old daughter, whom they love as much as their other children, but for whatever reason, Yakko is her joy. How on earth do we explain that? And I submit, you know what? And the bottom line, it doesn't really matter. All we know is it, is it does what it does. And I'll be damned. It's fiction to do it again yeah. on November 20th. I mean, this is, this is mind-blowing, James. Um, and I, I've now had the great, glorious opportunity to speak to you more than once and live these incredible, uncanny examples of joy and courage and empathy at a level I never would have were it not for the first success of Animaniacs. And holy crap, 2020 has given us a ton of lemons. 
and you and I are going to be involved in in making a big vat of lemonade. I, I don't even know how much better it gets, pal. Yeah, 2020, we had to put some vodka in that lemonade to get us through. But at You least, got uh... that right, my friend. <laughs> Uh, I th- I find it fascinating too. Just listening to that story, I'm hanging on your every word because, I, like I said, not only have I I witnessed some of these events, but having you share them, uh, you mentioned in the book uh, your disappointment early on in your career with not being a screen actor. But that's not a reaction a screen actor usually gets interaction with that marine right. or that child. So in many ways, this is like uh, you like you said, you hit the lottery. We're gonna take another quick break. Come back, continue our chat with Rob Paulson. Stand by. Hi, this is Alan Oppenheimer, the voice of Skeletor, and you're listening to Geek to Me. Welcome back to episode 199 of Geek to Me Radio. My guest, Rob Paulson, been on the show with us before. Great guy, just a truly genuine human being. Uh, Before we took that last break, we were talking a little bit about uh, his life as a voice actor versus had he been a big live action TV and movie star. Without question. And I'm grateful that my career took this path. Look, I've already kind of broached it. I'd be lying if I said I don't like it when people make a fuss over me. Of course I do. That's one of the Joneses that you have when you're a young performer. If you get a rise from your parents or your friends or your relatives or, you know, hey, man, um, it turns out that girls like guys who are funny. I'm not a looker. <laughs> I've never been a, uh, you know, a good looking guy. I'm just an average looking kid from Grand Blank, Michigan, born in Detroit, proud son of Michigan. but. I'm telling you, man, I wasn't 6'2 and 230 and the football hero. I played hockey my whole life and, you know, varsity sports. But to the extent that chicks dig me, it was because I was funny and I could sing. And when you find out that that's your superpower, you go for it. Sometimes it ends up in the guise of uh, stand up or whatever. And most people don't end up following that to make a living. I did. But um, I'd be lying if I said I don't like that. But I got to say, I'm so grateful that my ego is such that I, I, I didn't care that my fame was tangential. Right. I cared that I could work and I wanted the fame to come as a result of work. And it has. And now when I get recognized, as I mentioned earlier, it is nothing but happy. It's nothing but, oh, my God. Dude, you're the voice of my childhood. Wait a minute. Let me get my kids because they love you as much as I did. That's what's happening. And it's fantastic. And I love it. And I and my ego is such that I'm so grateful. I, I'm If I could uh, raise the bar myself and compare myself to somebody that I would like to be like in 30 years because they're old enough to be my dad and they behave the way in which I would like to think of myself behaving. It would be Dick Van Dyke. Oh, sure. Because when I when I see Mr. Van Dyke, happens about once or twice a year on social media, somebody will say, "Oh my God, I was visiting Malibu. I'm out here, you know, visiting from uh, um, you know Kentucky, and I was in the Starbucks on Cross Creek in Malibu, and I ran into Dick Van Dyke." Mm. And look what look what happened when I said, Mr. Van Dyke, do you still know Supercalif? And he says, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And he does a couple of lines, and he does it willingly because he knows what happens. The the young man or woman who's maybe fifty or sixty or even seventy loses their mind because Dick Van Dyke at ninety five is is singing Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That's fantastic. I hope I'm like that in 30 years. Exactly and, my thoughts. Yeah, if I'm if right. I'm as good as him and as sharp as he is at 95, I will definitely count myself lucky. Right. That's what I want to do because I know why people derive joy from my work, and I want to I want to cultivate that. I don't want to be the guy that goes, "Oh my God, are you? Yeah, look, I'm getting a cup of coffee." No, 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 no. If I am lucky enough to be in a position at 
64, 74, 84, 94, 104. To, to have somebody recognize me and all it does is make them happy. Shame on me if I don't take the extra two minutes to say, Tunisia, Morocco, Uganda, Angola, Zimbabwe, Djibouti, and look, it makes your dog happy. And that's, <laughs> that's what I want to do. I embrace that. I want that. You know, it's, it's the reason I live. It's like air to me. So, yeah, I'm all in, baby. And you mentioned having those interactions with the professor from Gilligan's Island and Mr. Rogers backstage where oh. it's kind of that, those, that same thing you're describing. It's like, yeah, this is how I want to be. And, and that shows, that comes through with you. It, it is. And thank you for bringing them up because I have had the great good fortune of seeing people who are journeyman actors like Russell Johnson. I did an episode of MacGyver, as you mentioned, cited in the book. And, you know, I worked with him for three or four days. I got to know Rick Anderson really well because we played hockey together. Mm -hmm. But And I had a couple of scenes with Rick. But I was more blown away about the fact that I got to work with Russell Johnson. And he shared with me his experiences of being the professor. Um, he's gone now. But there is virtually no place in the world that you can go that doesn't know Gilligan's Island. Exactly. And, and that is what it's about. He told me that, James. Russell himself took the time to answer again another young actor's questions. And depending upon how you answer them, they could be deemed silly or they could be deemed, sure, son, I'll fill you in. And he took the latter route. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget it. So I had examples like Mr. Johnson, like in my you know, hockey life, Gordy Howe, Bobby Orr, uh, professionally again, Steven Spielberg, um, Little Richard, Gordon Hunt, you know, who is Helen Hunt's father. Yes, yeah. Directed me in so many cartoons. I got to see how the best of the best of the best, Mel Blanc, June Foray, and this particular milieu, how they behaved. And they all, all people, who could behave, behave any way they want. Bernadette Peters, um, Ed McMahon, Dick Clark, Eric Idle, uh, uh, um, um, Terry Elwes, people who have become friends and examples. I could see how they behaved with the civilians uh, because of who they are, any way they want. They have the celebrity, the power, piles of money they'll never be able to spend yet they choose to behave in a way that you and i would james so i learned from the best jonathan winters same thing uh, people heroes of mine before i ever made it to la and so i've learned from the best and truthfully it goes right back to my mom and my dad um if rob if you ever get there, you make damn sure that you take the time to let everyone know that none of this gets done without them. We don't know much about show business, but we do know about humility. And if you're lucky enough to become famous, whatever that means, Rob, you know, you're representing the Paulson family. You've got a brother and two, two uh, sisters and a mom and a dad. And you know, like because of your own son, when somebody takes you aside and say to say, I got to tell you, I'm working with your son, Ash. And wow, what a great young man. That is what you and your wife are most proud of. So remember that if you are ever famous. And I have because I've seen how other people behave and they all have children. They want to be able to spread not only joy and kindness and authenticity and, and all of that, but humanity. And that's what it's about. And I don't know that it's ever been more clear than the way the world is right now. The ability to connect individually and, and collectively across the world, whether it's because of COVID, the election, um, racial issues, uh, what you have it, you know, what, whatever have you. Um, and to the extent that my little part in this is important to anyone. 
I am always going on to air on the side of humility because none of this happens without an audience and none of it happens without guys like Mr. Spielberg and Gordon Hunt um, on and on and on giving me jobs. And uh, yeah, I, I have won the lottery, but I moreover know how lucky I am to be in this position and I will never not behave that way. Just like Dick Van Dyke, just like uh, Gordy Howe, just like Steven Spielberg. We're all in it together, my friend, and those people know it. And so do I. And you talk about all the different celebrities. Uh, Jonathan Winters is uh, just one of my all-time comedic. Oh, my God. And I, one of the ones yeah. you mentioned in the book, uh, who I'm very jealous of, uh, Carol Channing. I would have loved to have met oh. her. And you got to work with her on Adam's Family. She's making jokes about uh, you checking out her tuchus. Uh, just oh my God. what a phenomenal experience that would have been to have, have uh, worked with her. We'll pause once more, take another quick break, come back, continue chatting with voice actor Rob Paulson. Stand by. Hello, nurses. This is Wacko of the Animaniacs, and you're listening to geek to me Radio. And do you know why? Because you know what's fabulous. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. My guest is Rob Paulson. And right before we took that last break, we were talking with him about working with some great, great people like Carol Channing and John Astin. Oh, Lordy. I'm so glad you brought her up. And John Astin. We did an yes. animated version of The Addams Family. And um, when I was a kid, I was crazy over that show. And I got to know John Astin as a result of working on the animated version of The Addams Family because he reprised his role of, as Gomez. Um, Carolyn um, Jones had passed away. So uh, uh, a lovely actress who's a friend of mine, another non-celebrity but truly gifted actress, whom, whom I still talk to very regularly, Nancy Lenari, played the Carolyn Jones role as Morticia. And the woman who had played Grandmama in the TV version had passed away. So uh, Carol Channing was hired. And instead of um, Uncle Fester, Rip Taylor was hired. And man, I I got to play uh, with the wonderful character actress, um, um, Edie um, uh, McClurg, uh, got to play two neighbors who were you know, freaked out by the Adams family's behavior, a la the Kravitzes in Bewitched. And so uh, um, Edie and I played the Adams family's next door neighbors. So I got to do, I don't know, 13th or 26 episodes of the Adams family with John Aston, Rip Taylor, uh, and um, uh, Carol Channing. And I was blown away. I mean, every time. So, I became fast friends with all those people, especially John Aston. And then years later, I kept, you know, kept in close touch with Mr. Aston Aston because I just love him. Great guy. And then years later, his son, Sean, became Raphael on the 2012 version of yes. Ninja Turtles, on which I played Donatello. But I'd already had uh, a great relationship with his old man. And the first day that we rehearsed the new Ninja Turtles, you know, Sean came in and gave me a big fat hug from his old man. Oh. It was great. It was fantastic. Um, so now Sean and I are lifelong, you know, attached at the hip friends. Hmm. I know his wife. I know his girls. Three lovely ladies. We talk about his old man. Um, I'll talk to John about Sean. Sean will talk to John about me. Sean and I talk to his old man and call him and talk about him in front of him. It's great. It's just great. He has the same birthday as Maurice LaMarche, all these wonderful things. Um, but yeah, that uh, there's another guy, a guy that is a legendary TV performer. And now at 86 years old is still teaching acting under normal circumstances at get this, the John Aston theater at Johns Hopkins University wow. in Baltimore. I mean, it's, and, and, and he's, he's a buddy. I can call him on the phone, just like Sean. I mean, come on. 
How great is that? Next time you speak uh, with him, tell him I'd love to have him on the show to discuss Night Court and all of his amazing uh, TV appearances. Oh, my God, right? I'm Dickens, he's Fenster, stuff that really never saw the light of day. Yeah, and John is, I mean, just like Sean, salt of the earth. Just the greatest guy. And another non-celebrity talent, but a showbiz legend, um, uh, Alan Oppenheimer, oh, yes. who has a prodigious IMDB for his on-camera work, but he was and remains, when they make them, the voice of Skeletor. That's right. Um, on He-Man. And I've been with him. You know, he's old enough to be my dad. Alan is 91. Mm. And still working. One of my best friends in the world. He's one of the reasons, I think it's even in the book, that I decided to jump into voice work because Alan Oppenheimer at an episode of Smurfs at Hanna-Barbera years ago said, young man, you're going to have to make a choice because you're getting a lot of work at Hanna-Barbera and Disney and you know, Marvel. And uh, he could see that my pager, my pager was going off a lot and it was my on-camera agent and I was having difficulty finding ways to audition for Hill Street Blues because I was lucky enough to be booked on Smurfs in the morning and Ninja Turtles in the afternoon. And I was, it was like a, a, a humble brag. Yeah. I was saying to, to Mr. Um, Oppenheimer, whom I have deep respect and admiration for, and who is a dear personal friend. And I would say, gosh, Alan, I, and say, yeah, it's a nice problem to have, huh? And because he was 26 years older than, than I, you know, he could see what, what was happening. And, and he could say, yeah, it's a, it's a tough issue. Do you skip the Hill Street audition that you might or might not get? Or do you take the two birds in the hand that you have? You're going to work on Ninja Turtles, which is becoming pretty big in its own right. But, and you're also going to be spending four hours here working on Smurfs. Both jobs that are guaranteed nice paychecks and they generate residuals or do you try to you know do you try to move the schedule around knowing that you might then you know be replaced on one of the jobs you have so that you can go audition for a job on hill street blues whether you might or might not get right or do you pass on the hill street audition and run the risk of pissing off the casting person at nbc it's a nice problem to have, but it's a problem um, to be sure. Um, it's a it's a problem that happens to young actors when they start to work. And I am really grateful that I took Mr. Um, Oppenheimer's and my wife's advice and says, if I were you, I would take the bird in the hand because you're really good at this. And down the road, you might be happy that you did. And I'll be damned. Here we are talking about it. And I'm glad I did. Absolutely. And I know we're coming up on our time here, so I don't want to... Uh keep you over the time but it's 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 one of those things i feel like we just scratched the surface uh we oh, thanks, mentioned buddy. animaniacs we mentioned the book obviously you want to check out animaniacs on hulu november 20th the book again voice lessons how a couple of ninja turtles pinky and an animaniac saved my life uh you can get that on amazon and we'll have a link up in the show notes in in closing if you had to give a, a parting thought as you enter this new chapter with animaniacs reboots uh what would you say and kind of to sum everything up Normally, this is where we would wrap it up, but I could not bring myself to cut anything. So this is a bonus section of Geek to Me Radio, a bonus segment coming up right after this. Stand by. So much to see waiting for you and me. Swim along with the house of fun. Come along with the stars. Hey, God, Brian, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Listen to Geek to Me Radio and then try to take over the world. Narf! The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio, our final bonus section. We don't usually do a sixth segment, but I couldn't bring myself to cut anything from my conversation with Rob Paulson. Uh, he deserves every single minute I can give him, so we're going to hear from him his final words for uh, our interview. I would say that, well, two things. I, I, I have often lived by the axiom, and I know it now to be true because I've had my own really significant health um, issues. And that is that 
laughter is the best medicine. And the cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. And that is damn sure true. Um, but also now having spent a lot of time and, and finding ways to spend time with folks on the autism spectrum, uh, and also being a spokesman for the head and neck cancer Alliance as a result of my experience with throat cancer. Um, I've been fortunate enough to become a spokesman for that particular type of cancer that sadly took Eddie Van Halen, um, and has beat the daylights out of me and other people who are, uh, who have had that experience, but who have gone on to, to be helpful and, and, and informational. Jim Kelly, the former quarterback of Buffalo Bills, uh, Michael Douglas, that Michael Douglas, who was yeah. the former, um, spokesman for the head and neck cancer Alliance. Like I am now, uh, I, I encourage people to go to head and neck dot org uh head and neck one word all lowercase dot org if they have any concerns any thoughts that they might be dealing with something that those i mentioned and i uh dealt with please check that out but i really think what i'd like to leave folks with is the following that is that i've learned a lot enough now to to have these interactions with people around the world uh, both online and in person, and that courage, kindness, empathy, um, understanding, joy, like love, can come from the most unexpected places. So please be as empathic and sensitive to everything around you as you can be. It doesn't all have to be the madness of the election and the fear of the outcome. Um, once the dust settles, please open yourself up to everything around you. Not only the joyful things, but the, the, the not so joyful things, the homeless people, the folks who do have it much more difficult than you. And even when you're having a difficult time, keep your mind and your heart and your attitude uh, in a certain, in, in a way that, that allows you to see that everybody, irrespective of where they, they, they are perceived to be, has their own battle. And you never know from that perspective where you might find inspiration, you might find joy, you might find love, you might find empathy. Uh, uh, sympathy from a place you never in a million years thought you'd find it. And it will make your life so much more full. Moreover, it will make you uh, the observer, the person who is taking advantage of those little gifts that are around us all the time. If we only take the time to, to open ourselves up for them, it will make us all better people. I am a better person now than I was a year ago, but I'm not even close to the kind of person I'm going to be 10 years from now. And it's because I'm learning to avail myself of all of that's around me from young, old, uh, just, just the way in which people live their lives. And, um, it's a gift. It really is. So take advantage of it because it's free. So uh, thank you very much for letting me speak my piece. And once again, James, you've given me a, a, a wonderfully glorious pulpit from which to, to speak my, my rambling truth, buddy. And um, I'm, um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. So thanks so much. And I can't wait to do it again with you. Absolutely. We probably have you on once a week and we'll never get old. Uh, again, the book... <laughs> Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky and Animaniacs Saved My Life. And, of course, check out the Hulu reunion on November 20th of Animaniacs. Hopefully we get back to conventions because I've got some more action figures I need you to sign. Hey, man, I got a pile of brand new Sharpies. And as soon as we get the all clear, I'm there. Perfect. Rob Paulson, continued success to you. Thank you so much for your time. My great pleasure. Thanks a lot, James. Take care. That's going to do it. 
My thanks once again to our show sponsors, Marcus Theaters. MarcusTheaters.com is the website. Gift the gift of movies this year. And, of course, the city of St. Charles, discoverstcharles.com. Thank you, as always, to Joey V, who is making this show chug along like the little engine that could. I would not be able to do it without him. Next week is our 200th episode. We're going to talk with Alan Burnett. It's going to be a brilliant conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. And until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you want to sound be. It's not in the way you watch the flash. It's not in the way you love Scotty Young Art. It's not in the way you play Mario Kart. It's not in the way you look when you make him a throw trap and says, That's a show. This is Geek Thank you, Warner Brothers Backlot. Good night. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of Geek Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geektomeradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet... Click through from geek 2 me radiocom first. The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by and do nothing?